Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Exvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Matt Millen, Senior Vice President of Revenue for Outreach. Outreach is redefining how salespeople optimize every point of customer interaction and uses machine learning to help guide salespeople to take the right actions with every customer they work with. Since joining Outreach two years ago, sales at Outreach have jumped 650% and growth is getting faster and faster every single month under Matt's direction. Outreach has been recognized by Forbes as the next billion-dollar startup and most recently as one of LinkedIn's top 15 startups in the world. Matt, we are so excited to have you join us this week. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Rob. Matt, I'm super excited to have you on board. Uh, the things that you guys are doing at Outreach are turning heads everywhere. You're helping redefine and, and how salespeople do their job. Can you help out our listeners, for those that uh, might have just woken up from being Rick Van Winkle for the last 70 years, and let them know who Outreach is and what you guys do? Uh, you bet. You know, let's have some fun with it. I like to say that Outreach gives sales reps a fat wallet. Uh, being a little bit more serious here, you know, we're modernizing the sales process, and what's happening is, is that bias and habits today are being replaced by insights and data, and modernizing the sales process is freeing up the rep to have more conversations at the end of the day. I love it. That is who can't get excited about a fat wallet, right? You bet. Um, now, now that we got that, we're going to talk a lot about outreach and what you've done, and your story is going to be killer. I'm super excited for it. But I think our listeners are going to be really excited about your story. You have a really interesting background about not just how you got to outreach, but how you kind of got started in sales. Yeah, you know, I've been in sales since the late 80s, and in the late 80s, I started two jobs. Well, actually, I started one job and one addiction, and I'll tell you about the addiction first. I started racing cars, and in the late 80s, Rob, I was racing in parking lots in a thing called autocross, where the courses were made up of cones so you couldn't get hurt. But within 10 years, by 1997, I had raced at Daytona International Speedway four times. What? And within five years after that, I'm racing desert trucks in the deserts of Southern California and Mexico. And here's what I learned on the racetrack. There is more bad luck than good luck on a racetrack. I can blow a tire. I can blow a motor. I'm out of the race. I can break too early, break too late, turn in too early, turn in too late, and I'm losing positions. Crazier than that, a car in front of me can blow a tire, blow a motor, and I'm out of the race. They can break early, break late, turn in early, turn in late. I'm losing positions. 
And I'm like, I got to figure out what I control here. And there were three things. Number one, how good of a driver am I? The more I invested in my skills as a driver, the more competently and capably I could handle all this bad luck that happened on a track. Two, the amount of money that my sponsors and I invested in my car for better technology to go fast, stop fast, turn quick, keep me safe. And three, preparation, like how much I prepared for each race. And on average, eight hours of preparation for one hour on the track. Now, I mentioned the other job, sales. Rob, I get out there and start selling, and I'm like, holy crap, there is more bad luck than good luck selling. <laughs> and there's no second and third place trophy like there was on the racetrack. Like, we're all competing. And I'm, I'm like, man, there's crazy stuff going on with the company I'm selling to, crazy stuff going on with my competitor, the economy, my product, just everything. And i got to figure out real quick, what are the three things I control in selling? And here's what I came up with. Number one, the words that come out of my mouth. The stories and the conversations I have all day had a lot to do with how good I got. Number two, my activity. How I spent my time mattered. And three, my attitude toward the business. When I mastered those three, my game got a whole lot better in sales. We could just stop this podcast right now. That was awesome stuff right there, Matt. Um, talk to me how you parlayed that into a career as a world-class sales leader. Uh, instead of just being a world-class sales guy. Yeah, that's great. So I came up with a methodology that I call SAM, story, activity, and mindset. Just parlayed all what I learned and then rolled that out are the three non-negotiables in selling. Your team's got to have a compelling story told with conviction, passion, energy, brought to that market every day. Activity, it's not just about being busy anymore. You've got to be doing the right things at the right time. And not just getting it done, but being revenue efficient today. It's a game of inches now. Mm. And then third, parlaying that attitude, that mindset into the business, knowing that your belief systems, your attitude is going to determine your behavior, that behavior of the actions and activities that you're taking with the stories you're telling. That will produce a result. That result will either reinforce or not your attitude. And this is really what creates you know, the winners from the losers. I'll just say one more thing, Rob. What separates the rep that has a bad call and goes into a funk for three hours versus the rep that has a bad call, picks themselves up in a nanosecond, resilient as all heck, and makes the next call like the last call was a winner versus the rep that has a bad call, thinks about it for one minute, and realizes they didn't serve their prospect, gets back on the phone and asks for a second chance. It's got to be mindset, right? Mindset, my friend. Yeah, got to be mindset. The unfair competitive advantage. I love it, man. This is going to be fun. We're going we're gonna to have a fun conversation, Matt. You've set it up uh, for a killer conversation. I, I'm going to refer to you as the Ricky Bobby of sales because you're just here to go <laughs> fast, man. And, and truth, that's what you've done since you joined Outreach. You joined them a couple of years ago, and they were doing some interesting things. But in the last five, last two years, you've been Ricky Bobby that came in there and said, "I want to go fast." It's a it, look. It's a great company fixing a big problem. Uh, a little over two years ago, I was I was leading business sales at T-Mobile, and I had the experience of outreach prospecting me, and I noticed a couple of things right away that my rep was thoroughly prospecting me between voicemails, social touches, the right amount of email. 
Uh, and I get to my desk at 6 a.m. because I'm a West Coast guy with a national team, and that means I'm already late on the East Coast. Uh, but I get in early, and there's a, a well-written, well, well-crafted email from Outreach. I respond to it immediately. Uh, within 30 seconds, my rep's on the phone. I'm like, I have no idea how you're doing this. And uh, we jump on the phone together, and it figures that he can help me solve a few of my problems. I needed my reps to be running more meetings and generating more pipeline. And that's how I got introduced to the organization. And as I got to know the team better and the culture better, uh, it was the perfect place for me to come join and help uh, the rest of the world modernize the sales process. So let's talk about that. So you join a company that's already doing a really good job prospecting you, getting your attention, giving you a killer product. Um, you, You come on board and you join an already killer group. But your job is to put your thumbprint on it and be Ricky Bobby, say, let's go, you know, let's turn fast into faster. How do you do that? What's the first couple moves that you make when you join a team and say, let's go faster, but keep them on board without saying, who is this joker? Yeah, you know, it's a contextual answer because it's, hey, what's going on at the point that I come on to the team? And there's a reason they bring you on. You know, when I came on, we had to go from scrappy to scale. What does that mean? Hmm. You know, there's a point in time where everyone on the team, you know, you got to get customers on your your website page, you got to get revenue on the books, you're, you're figuring it out as you go. And it came to a point where we're ready to go scale. We we're going to go start doubling the business or more than 2xing every year. And how are we going to go do that? And we had to get the business to a point where we could scale it out predictably. Um, and, you know, that's people and that's process. You know, making sure that you've got a sales process that you can onboard, train, and replicate and that you put the the instrumentation in place so when it's not going well, you know where to look. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and by so, the way, we'll, we broke everything. Like, you, And you're going to break everything. And you gotta you got to be looking for things that you know you're going to break. you got to be looking for things that you inadvertently break. And you also need to be aware that when you fix something, you're most likely going to break something else. So thinking all the way downstream, all those impacts – and try to, you know, really mitigate anything that would be broken as you're fixing something else. If you do have to break something, make sure you have a better problem at the end of that. As you come in and you bring that whole culture and that context that you talked about, what kind of, is it, are you, is part of what you're doing bringing leadership so you can scale? I I like that whole concept of moving into scale. What do you have to bring as a leader to make sure that now we're moving away from just the hustle factor and into the scale factor? What are some of those things that will give you that kind of ability to have scale happen across an enterprise that can serve a worldwide customer base? Yeah, that's a really high quality question. I think this is where culture starts getting formed and and not, not culture in terms of what got you here, but a sustainable culture in terms of what I call a high-performance sales culture, which is recognizing and rewarding the right behaviors, the right attitudes, and the right outputs. And as leaders, you know, knowing that some days you're leading, some days you're coaching, some days you're managing, some days you're training, and some days you're being a great mentor. And how do you oscillate between those different roles based on the needs of your team? How do you do that? Like, I'm taking notes right now, Matt. You're, I, I'm excited to hear how you do that. That oscillation, that's got to be a challenge. How do you know things like time allocation and prioritization? How do you figure out how to do that? Yeah, that's another great question. The way, the way I see it is this. Look, if you're out there driving change, you're leading. Mm-hmm. If you're making sure the work's getting done, you're managing. 
If it's around the quality of what's going on, you're coaching and mentoring and training. So what I do is I take a look at what are we doing at this point in time and what's needed by me, what's needed by my leadership team, what does my team need to feel supported so they know I have their back, right? Mm -hmm. So they know with confidence they can do their best work. If I've learned anything in 31 years of selling, Rob, it's a sales organization with confidence and certainty will get it done. A sales organization with uncertainty and hesitation will fail. And it's our job as leaders is to create a culture where they know we, they have our back or we have their back. We have the back of the customer. They can trust us to do the right thing, and all they have to do is worry about doing their job. Okay, you just opened up the first hole. Now, just like true to form on every episode, Matt, now we're going into the to the rabbit hole of Alice in Wonderland. Okay, <laughs> You just talked about certainty and confidence. And certainty is what gets it done. I am comp- We have thousands of people that listen to this episode, that listen to the podcast now. There's a whole bunch of people on the other side saying, how do you build confidence and certainty with every rep on your team? And before you answer, I want to give a little context. I've had the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about your team and what you've done. And one of the things that I'll give you a shout out for is you have a ridiculously high percentage of your reps that hit goal like a ridiculously high percentage. And I have to say that it probably that's got to be in part from confidence and certainty. So how do you build an organization like that? Yeah, and let's talk, because one of my biggest challenges is maintaining participation as the team has grown sixfold. Um, so the participation levels have actually dropped off um, as we've been scaling at the rate that we have. And one of our major challenge points that we'll talk about is, you know, is getting back to world-class participation levels uh, because we want everybody to win. But what I will say is, you know, confidence and certainty, and, and while you have a, a, an audience of leaders, you know, we were all producers or most of us were producers at one point. And we can go back to a point in our career, Rob, where like the company rolled out something new, new product, new service, new messaging, whatever it was. And at least here's what I did. I went out to one of my best customers and tried it out on them, like in a half-ass way. And if my, if my customer liked what they heard, oh, I felt great, and I ran to market with it. But if that customer gave me like a lukewarm response or a cold response, well, I just tucked that thing on the shelf and never mentioned it again because I was looking for confidence in terms of what I would get. And, and we're always searching for that. Like, and what we can do as an organization – uh, it's a number of things. Number one, like really give our team a story of why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. Like make it a moral imperative that we bring what we're doing to market. Like, like we're associated with solving the problem that we are. Uh, and it's important to our team. It's, it's not just a job. Like you've got to associate to it. And when you associate to it at a, at a level like it's a cause or a mission, there's a level of certainty and confidence that you have because it's important that it gets done. It gets important. Number two, you train. Like you train them on what to do, and then you test to make sure that we're good at it. So you, you have a lot of fun with role-playing the story and the objections, and you're rehearsing your meetings and how the conversation's going to go. And if it goes crazy, how do we bring it back? By the way, it's one of the reasons I'm such a fan of scripts. Not that you want to be robotic and read every word, but the challenge is, like, if I don't know where I'm going, I'm not sure I'm going to get there. And if a prospect brings me off script, I don't know where to get back on. Mm. Right? So I'm a huge fan of, like, navigation routes 
don't have to memorize every word, but know where you're going, know the best path to, path, sorry, the best path to get there, and use that. Like when you don't know what to do, you rely on habit, and I've found most people have bad habits. Yeah, no, I get it. That's Those are two good starting points. I want to push pause really quick on the first two before you give me the rest because I don't want to just blow by these, uh, Matt. I think that you're sharing some really – this is really, really good stuff. I love your idea of mission mentality first. Hey, we're, we're on a mission over here. We're not just working. We're, we're actually changing something. Is that cause – I mean, you, you, you went over it in detail, but I also want to give it the, the attention that it deserves. I I can't think of something that might be more meaningful than just you're here to work and this is how you do it. Have you found that that mission mentality has been a difference maker for your team? And if so, where does it really shine to you? Yeah. So, so the answer is yes. And you know, not everybody gets mission at the same level. In fact, I've found that there's like three levels of people that you'll find on your team. If you allow it to happen, uh, some people join your team for a job. Yep. Uh, I do not want any of them in my organization <laughs> because the minute the job gets hard, they find something easier, right? They're not committed at any level. Uh, the second level, though, is there are like career professionals. There are people that join your team as an SDR, an AE, whatever it may be, a leader, uh, and they're a career leader. They're a career whatever, uh, and they'll take more bumps and bruises before they get frustrated. But at the end of the day, like, they're not necessarily associated to what's going on, but they're a professional. But there's, like, one level greater where they're professional, but they really associate and resonate with what you're doing as an organization. Like, they win for the cause. They win for the team, and they'll win for themselves last. But, like, they, they win, whether you volunteer for your, your church or you volunteer for a school. I mean, you're, you're, you believe in that cause, and you do things you wouldn't normally do in other areas of your life, you know, work should be no different. Now, here's why it's so easy to do that, Rob. Like, if you look around the room that you're in, everything in that room was sold by somebody to someone, including the air you breathe through the HVAC system. So <laughs> all you've got to do is find whatever in the world you're passionate about and go represent it. Like, don't, don't cut yourself short. Do your passion, whatever it is. Do your passion, and when you have that behind you, you will tell your story with more energy and conviction. You will hit the activity with a level of zeal and energy that you didn't realize you had, and when it comes to mindset, it's like nothing gets in my way. So you're freaking, you're firing me up right now just telling me this. <laughs> like you're getting me all fired up right now. So how do you find those people? I mean, is there a, like a, is there a kind of anything that you would recommend to our listeners on how you find people that respond to the mission rather than just the job? Yeah. So first of all, like you got, you got to hire it. I don't believe you can train it. I believe you hire it and you nurture it. You get the best from it. Uh, and it's a couple, you know, it's a couple, Questions like, for instance, when someone comes to you uh, for an opportunity, ask them why they're interested in your organization. And if they can't do an amazing job of selling you beyond what you're like, then then they're not right. Like they, and then not only selling you, but they have to really understand what your organization does. So it's not just great talk. Like they really got to get the understand the problem and they have been impacted or seen other people impacted by it, and they want to solve it. Like, like they're out to fix this. Like, I got people that reach out to me, whether they've used outreach or they've been in organizations that need it, 
sales engagement platform to solve the problem. And they get it. They get it at a visceral level and they want to go change the world. All right. This first one, I'm sorry that I backed up before we got there, but I, your idea of this mission mentality really struck a chord with me because I think you're right. I think too many people don't really run to the hard things. And if you can find a team of people who run to the hard things, it's got to make the rest of the job something that with that context, it makes it so what you said, that mindset now becomes your advantage instead of your enemy. Yeah, and you're having fun. I mean, let's not forget at the end of the day, we all want to have fun. I bet the people that are listening to this spend twice the amount of time working than they do in any other area of their life. They're committed and love what they do, but they want to enjoy the time with the people they work with, the customers they're interacting with. They want to feel like they're making a difference on both sides of that. And, you know, for me, if you can't enjoy it, go find something you can. Amen, man. You've got all these great sound bites. Uh, you've got all these places we could just end the podcast right now, and it would have been a great – we'd all be better off for having heard it. But we got to get through the rest of your list, and i got a few other things I really want to talk about with you. Let's get to your train and test. After this, you got to have the story of the mission. Then you said we got to train and test, and it was, and it was all over. There's so many things you're training and testing on. I have to imagine having that mission mentality makes training and testing way more meaningful. Any best practices on how you do that in a way that people really take that more than just something that they have to do and they realize that it's something that they get to do or will help them be better? Yeah, I think um, so it's, it's, it's a great question. I, I Look, at the end of the day, if learning how to speak on behalf of your organization is a problem, it's the wrong person. I mean, this is what we are paid to do. We are paid to convey value and move people into transacting with us at the end of the day. And our, our sales or our front line, you know, ought to be running toward that in terms of a, make me better, coach. Make me better. Like, I, you know, I want to kill it. And we gamify it. We'll, we'll gamify it. Like, so we'll have fun. We'll have contests with it. We'll, like, if we have a new objection handling, um, like, you know, retort or, or something, you know, we'll have everyone send in a two-minute video on how to handle it, and we'll judge it and gamify it. Yeah, we'll bring people together and put people in front of other people and demonstrate best practices. We'll have leaders go first, you know, lead by example. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, if you can't tell the story, you have no right to represent the organization. It's table stakes for me. You know, you talk about non-negotiables, it's a non-negotiable. Love it. Okay, so those are your first two. What else? Any of the non-negotiables besides, you know, the storytelling and training and testing? What else finishes out your kind of blueprint of, of how you approach getting a team into high growth and keeping it there. Yeah, you know, it's culture. Like, uh, like, like a not, nobody can erode culture of the organization. You know, that, that has to be, you know, that has to be your North star in terms of, you know, who, who you are as a team and, and nobody's bigger than the team. Uh, nobody can erode the team. You know, in fact, when I think about performance improvement plans, you know, there's three reasons you could go on a plan. There's you know, your performance isn't great your activity isn't great or your culture isn't great, right? You know, like all three of those are red flags for me or any combination. And I think, you know, as you look at who you're bringing on to your team, you know, it says a lot about you. Everyone that comes in, nothing says more about you as a leader is who you decide to have join your team. Uh, and, you know, for us, we look at that very closely and we'll have as many people look and, you know, test on that as possible. Any uh, pitfalls to avoid as you look at how you've built a, 
a pretty interesting and successful culture at outreach. Is there any pitfalls that you would encourage our listeners to be sure to avoid at all costs? Yeah. Don't, don't hire yourself. <laughs> uh, no. And what I mean by that is, you know, when someone comes in that, you know, starts telling me everything I want to hear and doesn't, you know, just, I, Oh man, you were, I was exactly there X years ago. Like I need other people to look at this person. Cause you know, I get lulled into that, um, Siren, you know, you get lulled into that because, and it's it's not always that. And you really, you know, you need you need a very diverse group uh, of people that look at candidates for both leadership positions and frontline. You know, we we make sure that it's, you know, we have solutions consultants interview AEs. To, you know, how you know how are they going to behave and interact? And we have success. And you know, we have different areas of the organization to make sure we're hiring people that just won't produce and perform, but culturally make us a better team. Okay. Love it. After culture, anything else? Anything else on your blueprint? That's enough for now. Okay. Those are three awesome ones. Those things, those things, you get those three, right. The job gets a lot easier pretty fast, doesn't it? It does. You make, you make less bad decisions. How's that? Love it. So here's one of my favorite questions. And I've been wanting to ask this one to you, Matt, given, given your background and given the success that you've had, I mean, it's easy for us to say, oh, we're having high growth and, you know, look at all the sales that we're having, et cetera. And, and I'm not going to say that the scoreboard doesn't matter. You know me a little bit and, you know, I care about the scoreboard. So scoreboard meaning we better make sure sales are growing, right? That, that's a not, that's an obvious one. Right. But, but if we were to take sales off, how do you know what success looks like? If you were to say as a sales leader, how do you know you're having success in ways other than sales? What are the things that show you that you're having success with your team? other than sales? Because I think that's one of the harder things for sales leaders to really figure out, especially early on. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with culture. You know, like what's the overall attitude of the team? What's the talk that happens, you know, when you're not in a room, you know, when you're on a, when you're leading a call, what's being slacked all over the place? You know, like, like you know, what is the health of the team culturally? Like, the, you know, that is the most important measure and metric if there was one. Uh, and for me, you know, I constantly am talking to frontline. I'm constantly talking to my leadership team. And look, it's not perfect anywhere ever. And it's just being in touch with what's really going on, what needs to be fixed, um, and what's perceived that needs to be fixed, but needs to be led better, quite frankly. Not everything, you know, needs to be fixed. And it's, you know, it's just being real and honest with your team and, and your team knowing they can call you up. They can reach out to you. You know, how people slack me for help on a deal and, or call me up, you know, and the ones that don't know me as well are like, you know, oh, you know like, sorry to interrupt you. And, you. and you immediately have to say, this is not an interruption. This is why I'm here. Mm. Like, if this was an interruption, I'm the wrong guy. Like, you are my priority. Our customer is my priority. Our business, like, you as somebody on my team is my priority. You know, and I'll, I'll just say one more thing to this. You know, my wife and I often – my wife has me on PIP, by the way. Um, but, you know, I, we get in these conversations like she's like, why are you working on the weekend or why are you working late at night? And I have one answer every time she asks that question, which is if somebody on my team is working, so am I. Wow, I love that attitude. Can you say that one more time? If somebody on my team is working, so am I. Just flat out period. I have the accountability – to be there, uh, to be ready, to be accessible, to be accountable um, for anybody on my team. And that's why I'm at work at 6 a.m. because it's 9 a.m. on the East Coast, and it's not uncommon 
for me to be on four o'clock or five o'clock conference calls because they're happening in the organization. And mm. it's just my attitude toward the business. Oh, what a great attitude. So, so I've always said that I think people are the world's greatest reflectors. And, I, and that's such a great uh, element for you to reflect that you're not asking them to do anything that you won't do yourself. What kind of an expectation do you have for your frontline and functional sales managers that are leading all these reps that you have? What, I guess I should say it a different way. What percentage of their time or should be coaching and, and how much of their time should be around reflecting that kind of an attitude to their team? Any thoughts around how your front frontline sales managers should be prioritizing what they do? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think frontline, you know, you're, you're managing first. I mean, it's your title, like you're a sales manager and, you know, you're accountable for the production of five, seven, nine people, whatever your span of control is. I mean, so you're managing them, uh, you know, you, to the extent that you're providing coaching and training and mentorship. But I mean, you know, you're, for me, you're a manager first and you're blending in all the other elements that we talked about. Leadership, you know, you're usually in an execution mode of a leadership initiative. Not that you're not leading and not a leader, but you're a manager. And as you move up, you know, in the manager ranks, you know, your role moves more from manager to leader um, based on your responsibility, the accountability and what you're doing in terms of directing the organization. Uh, but it's all contextual because we all ebb and flow back to what's needed in any moment, in any point in time. You know, the true leader knows when to be led. The true teacher knows when to be taught, right? The, mm. the true comedian knows how to laugh. And <laughs> I think we all have to recognize and not get too caught up uh, and, quite frankly, not get amnesia. I think the biggest pitfall that we can make as leaders is we get amnesia. Uh, we forget what it was like to carry the bag. You know, yeah. we, we get in leading and driving that, you know, we, a little bit of our empathy had fallen out and we, we lose touch, we lose respect. And, you know, for me, my, my leadership principles and fundamentals after driving performance is number one is empathy. Have a true appreciation and understanding for what your people do. Like really get it, right? Uh, don't take it for granted and think through what they do before you come up with some half-assed uh, new program or, or idea. Uh, the second one is fun. Like when it gets to a point, people stop having fun, you're in trouble. So like whatever fun is, you have permission to have fun. Still got to do the work. Still got to be accountable, but let's have fun, whatever fun is. And then last, as a leader, you've got to do the right thing. You got to do the right thing for your employees in the moment they need it. And you got to do the right thing for your customers in the moment they need it. They don't need to hear about what the contract says your team doesn't need to hear what the employee handbook says. They need you to do the right thing at the right time. Matt, you are dropping some sweet knowledge. That's just straight fire right here. That's that trifecta you just gave of empathy, have fun, and do the right thing is some. Those are things that will help every single organization have more success, no doubt. So we're we're running low on time here. I can't believe that we're coming up on a thirty minute mark already. It, it always happens, and I knew it would with you. I freaking knew it would. I want to go and now ask you, think about over your course as a sales leader, and, and man, you've been awesome. I mean, every bit as good as I thought you'd be, and then some. And I want to thank you first just for coming and sharing some of your insights with our listeners. They're all going to be better off for having heard you. What's one of your most difficult leadership uh, challenges that you faced as a leader of salespeople? Yeah, my, my most uh, difficult challenge, like I mentioned, you know, is, is successing people that join your team. 
you know, ramping new hires, which ultimate, ultimately impacts your participation. <clears throat> and I'll say this, you know, as a hiring leader, a hiring manager, I look at the quality of the people that we brought on, and, and I'm proud of, like, most, right? Like, it's like, um, most. We all, we all bring someone on we shouldn't. And when they don't make it, whether they're not ramping quick enough or it didn't work out, I have to look inside first. Like, what, what did I do wrong? What did the organization do wrong? Because everyone we hire has a history of winning. They've demonstrated capability and competence in, in the area we hired them. And, you know, I really, I really look inward first. And as we scaled aggressively here at Outreach, you know, literally going from six AEs to 40, it, you know, we didn't do our best work in terms of making sure that we had a sustainable onboarding and ramping. And it took us a, a while to figure that out. And, and I'm not going to say we're completely out of the woods yet, Rob, because I don't think you ever are, because we always want to do better for the next group coming in. But I look at every one of my classes as a cohort, and I measure how they're doing against previous classes and are the changes and improvements that we're making in hiring, onboarding, and ramp producing a better result than we had before. Uh, and then I'll tell you, this this has been a challenge, and I would love to talk uh, to anyone that listens on their best practices here uh, because, you know, this one, I have not found the magic formula for this one yet. Well, you you uh, should be careful what you wish for. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you get several people reaching out to you. I get a lot of feedback from our other guests saying, man, a lot of people have been reaching out to me. And with that question, though, that's a big one. Usually I say, what was your challenge and how did you address it? And what you're saying is, I'm doing all right, but I'd like to do better. And that's probably indicative of why you're doing so well, Matt, is you just aren't slowing down saying, how do we get better and better at it? Yeah, I'll say, like, at some point, like, you know, life becomes a game of inches, like, a lot of smart people out there. The obvious, the obvious problems and answers have been found. And it's the people that take the time to dial in, to go levels deep and figure out, you know, where, where can I just tune it a little bit more? Going back to Ricky Bobby, you know, eke out a few more horsepower out of this big block. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's the difference between ooh and ah in many cases. So I was just talking about di- dialing out that extra horsepower, you know, going layers deep. <laughs> um. Well, we're we're running low, man, and you've given us so many good things. I don't know what's the what's my favorite part of, of this thing. I, I'm looking back and I'm seeing about you know leading through mission and training and testing and culture. I'm looking at empathy, have fun, and do the right thing. And and your whole start on words, activities, and attitude are the three things that drive how you drive that car. Um, any final thoughts before we get into the last question that I ask everyone? Any, any, any final thoughts for our listeners as we as we wrap this up? I've got no final thoughts. I mean, I thought you've done a great job extracting the little bit I have to offer, so I appreciate the conversation. <laughs> well, then we're going to finish it the way we finish with every single one, Matt. Leaders quite often are readers because they're looking to up their game and they're looking to continue to do what you're saying. What's next? What's better? What's best? Anything that you think every sales leader ought to have in their library of things they're reading to help them up their game? Yeah, if leaders are readers, I say learning is earning. Ooh. So there you go. Uh, so I would like to share a book that I've found many people that I've bumped to haven't read yet. And it's not one of the obvious ones, but I'll tell you, you know, if you think about the best books that impact your life and, you know, you turn the corner of the page over because you want to go back and you're highlighting, I'll tell you my copy of this book Every page, the corner's turned over, and the book's yellow. You know, it's it's an amazing read. 
and it's called Conversations That Win the Complex Sale. And it has nothing to do with complex sales. It has everything to do with conversation uh, and really conveying value. So it's Conversations That Win the Complex Sale by um, Eric Peterson and Tim Ristra. Cool. Just got to Google it and come up. It's awesome. Highly recommend it. We'll put it on our, our website. We've got the library of uh, high-growth books, and that is the first time that one's been recommended. We're excited to put it on there. Matt, you've been fantastic. Like I said, you are the Ricky Bobby of, of sales, <laughs> and you joined the team that was going fast and helped them go faster. He's Matt Millen. He's the Senior Vice President of Revenue at Outreach, one of the top 15 uh, hottest companies in the United States, according to LinkedIn. Uh, been pegged as the next billion-dollar startup by Forbes. And this is the guy who's helping make sure that, like Ricky Bobby says, we're going to go fast. Matt, thanks for joining us, and happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Been a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? I love Matt Millen. He's a stud, one of my favorite dudes. I'm happy for the success that he's created uh, over at Outreach. I love seeing uh, some insights as to why they've had so much success and why they're one of the fastest-growing companies in all of North America. And first of all, how cool is it that he was a professional race car driver and he made a living going fast, and now he's applying some of those very same principles to help us his sales team and his revenue teams go fast. I really do think he is the Ricky Bobby of all of the leaders that we've had come in so far. You know, he comes on and he says, I just want to go fast. And as I looked at his notes, uh, usually I, I come up with kind of an angle of what we talked about. It. And today, what I found was there was a lot of, of breadth. And as I was going through it, there's a number of kind of one-liners and a bunch of principles that stood out to me. And I found myself going David Letterman style. And I've got now the Matt Millen Top 10 Leadership Laws as Shared on the Sales Leadership Podcast. I don't know if they're in the right order. They're not even trying to be in the right order, except you know, maybe the last one. Um, Matt, I would love to have you rank these for me and tell and, and see if you could get them in, in the right order. But that said, let's have the Matt Millen Top 10 list. Uh, drum roll, please. Number 10. The true leader knows when to be led and the true teacher knows when to be taught. This is his Mr. Miyagi-style approach to leadership, that the great leaders have enough confidence that they love to get the input from people, and they know when they can learn from maybe even the most uh, unsuspected sources. And as great leaders, we never stop uh, our quest of learning and, and being led so we can raise our game. Number nine, if you can't enjoy it, go find something you can. Uh, I, I think that that's such a great one. We cannot fake that. This is not a fake until you make it. We have a limited number of professional cycles. Use them on things you love. If you find yourself in a situation that you don't love, either change that situation or find a new one. Number eight, don't hire yourself. I love how he pointed out that the greatest teams have diversity. They're men and women. They're, they're all different races. Uh, you know, it's, it's every sort of diversity that you can find. The great teams have it. And a real easy trap to fall into as a leader say, oh, man, I see a lot of myself in that person. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. Make sure you have a good diversity. You'll find that your team is far more successful. Really good insight from Matt. Number seven, if you can't tell the company's story, you can't represent the company, period. It's a non-starter. 
I love that. You know, we have to be storytellers. If you are not able to tell the company story in a way that you can be tested on and you can be tried on and you can be certified on, then you shouldn't be talking to customers. We have to be storytellers. We have to be able to resonate with people. It's not about the product. It's about the story. I love that one. Number six, control what you can control. He started the episode with that. He spent a lot of time referring back to it. You know, it goes to his days on the racetrack where there's a lot of things, you know, that if luck comes in, it's usually bad. If accidents happen, they're usually bad. And uh, go back and listen to that portion. I thought it was awesome. He said there's three things that you can do that you can control, three ways to avoid accidents. The words that come out of your mouth, the activities and how you spend your time, and ultimately the attitude towards your business. And he used that to create a SAM, S-A-M approach. S, what's your story? A, what are the activities? And, th- and M, what's your mindset? And he talked a lot about how mindset was the unfair advantage, and I 100% agree with him. I 100% agree. I, you know, whenever I speak to organizations, I talk a lot about the mindset. I am, and then put a blank. Whatever you put in that blank, I am whatever. I am the best, you'll be the best. I am at a disadvantage, you're probably going to lose. I am frustrated, you're going to stay frustrated. You know, I'm going to be in President's Club, that's where you're going to be. Be intentional about what goes in that blank after I am. The most important thing to get right is your I am. Which takes us to number five. If somebody on my team is working, so am I. I love that. First in, last out leadership. Not just there hanging out, but finding ways to add value. Finding ways to make people better. You know, after it. Uh, not letting anybody outwork them. The one thing that I can always control is my work ethic. And uh, you don't want to be the person that's punching the clock. There's no room in today's world for Fred Flintstone. Turns 5 o'clock, yabba-dabba-doo, you slide down the dinosaur tail and off you go. we got to make sure as leaders that we're setting the pace. Number four, don't stop having fun, period, ever. I loved it when he talked about that. People are the world's greatest reflectors. If we are not having fun, our reps will see it. If we are having fun, we can be killing ourselves, and we still won't run out of juice. So don't stop having fun. Make sure that you're the leader that loves what he or she does, and you're able to reflect that to your team. Now we're on the home stretch. The last three are probably my favorite three. Number three, you've got to do the right thing in the moment you need it. You don't do the right thing when it's convenient. You don't do the right thing because it's good for business. You do the right thing because it's right. And that's how your team will respect you more than anything else. Want to be respected? Do the right thing because it's right. Number two, don't lose your empathy. It's your greatest leadership asset. I loved that. Matt talked about his empathy as his greatest asset. Your ability to say, I've sold. Your ability to say, I know where you are. Your ability to say, I understand your situation. Keep your empathy so you can understand the members of your team because then you can best help them. And that, take, that takes us to number one. Do your passion, whatever it is. You know, your conviction can't be faked, and it is what drives activities. And so if you're not doing your passion, you can't expect your reps to have that be their passion as well. And I, I think that that's a great way for us to end. He talked a lot about mission mentality. And, and if we can't be people on the mission, then we don't. We probably shouldn't be leading a team. We, we've got to have that mission mentality or else we can't expect our team to have it. And I related to that because what I'm doing here at Exvoyant, for instance, I'm willing to damn near kill myself because I believe so deeply in helping sales leaders change the craft of coaching and of leading. You know, and, and I believe so deeply it resonates with my team, but it also resonates with my customers when I'm seeing, when I'm seeing them and talking with them. 
And, and you can't fake that. So I hope you love the Matt Millen top, top 10 list. I hope you print that out, use that, compare that to yourself because it has worked for Matt. It will work for you. And if you apply those top 10 things, very quickly you'll find there's less to worry about and just more to execute. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening to the podcast. Keep those uh, reviews coming. Uh, the more you review us, the easier it is for other people to find us and benefit from these great guests. And with that, we'll wish you happy selling and remind you, don't worry, just execute. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.